Have you lost something significant this past year? It could be a job, it could be your health, it could be an experience that created some sense of loss, or maybe you lost a loved one. Yesterday I did the funeral for Doug Golden, and um, just after the service I went to my truck there in the parking lot, checked my phone for messages, and received a text from Marty Fowler that his mom Gloria was in critical health at St. Francis. And so I drove there as quick as I could and visited, prayed with the family. Within a 30 minutes, she went home to be with the Lord. Her health had turned rather quickly over the last several days, I guess within a week. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a sad experience. It was a hard experience. It, it, was, it was the loss of a deep loved one. And how do we deal with those losses when they come? Sometimes we do okay and, and sometimes we don't. And there might be those who are here this morning that you're, you're really struggling with some of the losses. Psychologists tell us that there are different stages of grief. Any kind of loss, we go through a grief experience. The first stage is that of shock. Where we, we, we just don't even realize what's happened. Uh, then the next stage is denial, that we know it happened, but we don't believe it happened. You know, we just, we don't want to accept it. And then we go through an anger stage. We get mad. We're mad at God. We're mad at the world. We're mad at loved ones. And it's very important in a stage of grief, if you're not going through the stage and someone else is, and they start acting very different during a stage of grief, especially during this anger phase, you need to realize that what they're experiencing is absolutely normal. And in that moment, it's not about you. It's about them and how they're dealing with that grief. And that anger is very normal. And then we go through a bargaining stage. Uh, this is where we say, God, I'll live for you. Or I'll go to church. Or there'll be a foxhole conversion experience or something of that nature that we think that somehow bargaining with God will make it better for us. But then we go to the next stage and that's depression and often that's the longest stage. It lingers and uh, it's a hard stage for people. And then the final stage is acceptance and we get to move past the grief. Our Jewish friends I think do a really good job with handling grief. For they'll have a, a service at the graveside the year after the initial graveside service. It's a way of closure for their grieving experience. They will uh, go back to the graveside and they will respectfully say, I have grieved this past year and now I'm moving on. Which is what that loved one would want, right? Uh, it takes two mountains to make a valley. David said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't run through it. I don't waller in it. I walk through it. But then there's another mountain to climb and to move on with life. And so we go through these stages. But in, in all of that, there is the touch of pain. And if we don't know how to deal with that pain by letting God heal the pain, then that hold is going to get much, much bigger. And it's going to cause more problems. Well, there are several options. Many turn to addictive habits. They didn't start out that way. They try to find something that will salve the pain in their heart and in their lives. 
But then it begins to control them, and it takes over, and it becomes very addictive, and it's unhealthy. You can turn up the noise. You can get busy. Try to ignore what you're experiencing in life, and hopefully that the pain will go away. You can deny the reality of that pain. Uh, you can say that, no, it's not there, but the problem is that you're a feeling human, that you feel pain, and you can suppress it, but one day it will come up, and usually in a very traumatic way. We can accuse God for our pain. Uh, you know, there are uh, atheists, and most atheists, most atheists are not atheists for rational reasons. You know, an atheist, atheist, that means no God. They don't believe in God, but they're mad at a God, but they say it doesn't exist. Now, what happened? Well, back in their life, and this is my experience. In fact, I met with a group of atheists here in town several years ago at a bar. They invited me to come and, and uh, visit with them. Uh, took my son-in-law and a couple of others of us were there. And it was a very, very interesting experience. It was a very sad experience as we talked about their experience. And many of them had a religious background, but somewhere along the way they experienced pain in such a way that they left the church and they, they were upset with God over their experience. And not all of them, but, but many of them have, have that story. And so uh, we try to blame God, even Christians. We, we blame God for what has happened. Again, often that can be normal. We can be mad at God and, and not... not uh, lose our salvation when we're going through the pain. F.B. Meyer said this, though, that what God allows, what God permits, is as much His will as what He appoints. Let me say that again. That what God permits is as much His will as what He appoints. And that's where we often struggle, isn't it? That we have a hard time adjusting to what God allows. And so I want to help us adjust to the losses that we've experienced this past year in 2023. And there's a better way of handling it. And we find this from an example in the Bible from David. David was one who dealt with a loss. He was a fugitive for almost 10 years while he was trying to hide from Saul. There was a man named Shibbeth who was named king for two years. David should have been on the throne, but Saul's commander of the army, Abner, proclaimed that Shibabeth was going to be the king. And uh, so he experienced loss in that way. Absalom, his son, desired the throne and even tried to kill David to get the throne. Imagine that. And then you've got David's whole ordeal with Bathsheba and the loss of his child. He felt pain. And in Psalm 131, which is going to be our text this morning, he's expressing this pain, but he gives a message of hope. We're not sure what the pain is in the text, and I think there's a reason for that, so that it's universal for all of us. The pain is universal for all of us and for all time. So let's open our Bibles to Psalm 131, and let me read the text this morning, where David says this, Lord, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty, I do not get involved with things too great or too difficult for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. Like a little weaned child with its mother, I am like a little child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. 
Now, there are three things that I want us to see from this text. It's the picture of a child being weaned from its mother. First of all, when God weans us from our losses, it produces humility. Notice verse 1, he says, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. David is expressing there's been a loss of maybe presumptuous desires or excessive pride or a haughty attitude or unbridled ambition. He says again, I do not get involved with things too great or too difficult for me. In other words, I'm not trying to control the things I can't control. It's coming to the end of yourself and realizing you ultimately cannot control your life and all the things around your life. And when that loss happens, it throws us. And we don't know how to handle it. But notice verse 2. He says, instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. Pride and arrogance produce chaos. But humility quiets the soul. It becomes still. David is, in essence, saying that the trouble that he's experienced, the chaos in his life, has caused humility. God weaning him away from things in his life. Secondly, when God weans us from our losses, it produces hurt. Not just humility. Verse 2, like a little weaned child with its mother. It's the picture here of a nursing mother. And God's created the anatomy of a female so that that baby, when it's nursing, is looking to the eyes of the mother. And there's a sense of security. There's a dependency there. And the word wean means to detach from a dependency. So we've all had something we are depending on to bring fulfillment in our life and it's not bad things necessarily it could be <clears throat> but but weaning means that there's been this detachment away from that that we've been dependent upon and that process can be very traumatic can it while a child is being weaned it's two o'clock in the morning and the baby's crying on one end of the house and the mother's crying on the other end of the house and the father's got his finger stuck in his ear praying that he doesn't say the wrong thing and if you're not praying that men you better be praying that because there's no fun when you say the wrong thing in a setting like that. It can be traumatic physically, but it can also be traumatic spiritually. We're weaned from self-sufficiency, from self-will. We're weaned from self-seeking or dependence on things or a dependency on people. But notice the process of physical weaning. First of all, it's initiated by the mother. <clears throat> The mother removes herself from the child. She gives the child other food, better food, necessary food that the child needs. And with the process of time, the child will adjust, right? Well, notice the process of spiritual weaning. It's initiated by God. God will remove those things or those people that we're dependent upon. He gives us better food, <clears throat> the right kind of food, necessary food. And he's patient with us, giving us time to adjust. Now, what would happen if a child was never weaned from its mother? Not only is that a big problem, but it is a disastrous problem for the child and for the family for years to come. What would happen if God did not wean us from the things that we think we need and maybe we needed them for a time, but God says you no longer need that in your life. And he weans us from that. 
But if he didn't do it, it would prove to us that he didn't really love us. The mother does that because she loves the child and knows that it's necessary. And the motive for God winning us is love. The third thing I want you to see is that when God weans us from our losses, it produces hope. He says in verse 3, put your hope in the Lord. Healing comes when the child, though doesn't understand fully what is taking place, is able to say, she's not doing this to hurt me. She's doing this because this is good for me. And our problem in dealing with our losses in life is that we think that we need to know and we have the right to understand and be gratified instantaneously. We want to answer to the why. Well, questions only produce more questions. And God wants us to simply trust Him. And the good news is, is that as long as we're not happy in the moment, we still can have hope. By doing that, that hole in your heart will begin to heal. God isn't going to give you what you want every time you want it. He wants to wean you. Notice verse 2. Instead, <clears throat> I have calmed and quieted myself like a little weaned child with its mother. God will give you rest as you put your hope in Him. I want you to stop and just think a minute. What The whole passage, just these few verses, 131, is the picture of a child who is weaned. It's in its mother's arms and there's no desire. That's the point that Dave is trying to get at. When we're weaned from our losses, though traumatic as it was, now you see the picture of a child who is at rest and there's no desire. Why is that? Well, it's not because of disappointment or disgust for us with the world when we think about it spiritually. Some men or women run from the world because of the way the world treated them. They've jerked themselves away from the world rather than being weaned. And they think they're okay, but the problem is the anger is still there. That's why they jerk themselves away from the world. Anger is really about the loss of something. It's the result of the loss of something. The loss of power, the loss of influence, the loss of purpose, of dignity for people. Why no desire? It's not because they're oversaturated with the world's pleasures. <clears throat> we have to ask ourselves, how much is enough? How much do I really need in life? We say, I've had too much. Now I have nothing to go to. I mean, if God gave us everything that we wanted at the end, we need nothing. Why no desire? It's not from the lack of capacity to enjoy what the world has to offer. <clears throat> it always has something more. Satan will tempt us in one area, and then he finds another way to tempt us more and more and more. But no desire is because there's a willing abandonment produced by the conviction and transformation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What you once desired is no longer there. It's just as a child. Once it's weaned, it no longer desires its mother's milk. It desires the food that is better for him and is true with God. The world cannot satisfy. And God has separated us, weaned us from what we loved and clung to. He took it away. But the desire that we now have is far, far greater. How strong is your desire for God. You have a desire for these other things. 
you've had the loss and now you're struggling, well, how great is your desire for him? I think I may have shared this illustration before. This question reminds me of a legendary story of, of a kingdom who had a king and he needed a heart transplant and he stood on the balcony of his castle over the people who were gathered in the plaza square there and he announced and they all knew that he needed this, this uh, heart and so he said somebody here is going to have to give me a heart and <clears throat> for the transplant and so I'm going to drop a feather from here and when it lands on that person you've been anointed by God to give me your heart and so the feather begins to fall and they all shout my heart for the king my heart for the king and as it, the feather gets closer my heart for the king my heart for the king <laughs> I think that perfectly describes a lot of us and our desire for the king we say we have a heart for him but when the pain gets close, we don't want to face it. We don't want to embrace it. Well, David expresses the desire of his heart in Psalm 63. I want to read it to you. David is, the Bible says, the footnote under, under the title is that he's in the wilderness. Which means he's probably on the run from either Absalom or, or Saul. Uh, we're not sure which, but, but he's in a desperate situation. He's experiencing loss, but I want you to hear the desire of his heart. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will praise you as long as I live. At your name I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When on my bed I think of you, I meditate on you during the night watches. Because you are my help, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I will follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. What is David saying? He says, my desire is to seek Him, to drink from Him, to focus on Him, to glorify Him, to praise Him, to meditate on Him, to rejoice in Him. You see, in your loss, you need to ask God to give you a greater desire for Him, to help you move away from the desire for whatever it is that the loss has brought to you. Not that that's not meaningful and it's not disrespectful in any form or fashion. But it is a way of saying, God, look, what are your options? What are your options? I read to you earlier what many people choose to do. But the best option and the only option for a believer is to turn your desire toward him. Now, I want to give you five essential truths that you need to help deal with your loss as you move into 2024. Several years ago, I shared these essential truths. I have them printed on a card on my desk. And every day that I'm in my office, I see this card. And it reminds me of these five essential truths that I believe are helpful and necessary in dealing with loss. Number one, 
God's word is true. You see, everything that I'm telling you comes from God's word. Everything we know about God comes from his word. Everything we know about Jesus Christ, about sin, about man, about whatever it is, it comes from God's word. And that word is true. And the reason I say that is if that word is true, therefore, you can face reality. See, we're living in a world that doesn't know how to face reality about themselves or about their circumstances in life. And God's word has given us the truth about ourselves and about the issues that we're facing in our world. What is real? And God's word is true about reality. Therefore, I can embrace reality. I don't have to run from it. I don't have to deny it or try to cover it up or suppress it or whatever else. God's word is true. Secondly, God is sovereign. Therefore, you can trust him. There is someone who's in control of this whole thing. There is someone that knows what's going on in your life and has allowed everything to happen in your life. We may not like it. We may not want it. But if he's allowed it, ultimately, I can trust him. Third, God loves you. God loves you. Therefore, I can love him. I can love myself. So many people hate themselves. They don't like themselves. And with the love of God, you can learn to love yourself in a a healthy, appropriate way. Not in a self-serving way, but in a God-honoring way. I love who I am created by Christ. And you can love others especially the losses that have happened because of those who've hurt you and wounded you, and the relationship has changed, you can love even them. The fourth truth, God is near. God is with you. Therefore, you can be secure. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that he is always with us. You may not feel it. We may not sense it, but this is truth. This is an essential truth. If I'm going to get through the loss that I'm experiencing, I can be confident that God is near me. And the fifth essential truth is that God is at work. Therefore, you can know that good will come from your loss. As Paul said, that all things, good, bad, and ugly, work together for those who love God and are called according to to His purpose. You've experienced the loss. There's hope. Put your hope in him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here today who would say, Pastor, I've not just had a loss. I've had a string of losses over my life. And I realize today that I need God in my life. And I want to know him. And I want to have a relationship with him. And it all begins by admitting that we have sinned against God. And the greatest loss that man has ever experienced is the separation from God because of sin. But because of God's great love for you, He came in the person of Jesus Christ, His Son, to die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sin and satisfy God's wrath against sin so that you could have a relationship with him.
not just by knowing about him or believing that story, but inviting him to come into your life and to be your Lord, not just your Savior, to let him take control of your life and to be now the one who is leading your life, the one who is loving you and helping you through this life and has prepared a home for you in heaven. Now, we want to invite you to make that commitment of your life to him. In just a moment when we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you to come to one of the pastors here at the front who will be able to help you as you give your heart to Christ. There might be many in this room who would say, I know the Lord, I love him, but I've experienced a loss, or several, and I've been struggling. I want you to be assured that there is hope today. God has promised that in his word. When I think about Doug Golden and Gloria Fowler, I look at their lives and I see God's faithfulness. I've known them many decades. And I've seen God's faithfulness and the losses they experienced in their lives. How he's been faithful to them. And I'm confident God will be faithful to you. Ask him to help you. All the emotions that you're feeling, ask him to help you through all of that. He'll be faithful to do so. There might be some in this room God is leading you to become part of our church family. Three senior adults this morning joined our church family. And maybe you're here today. God's put it on your heart to come and to join us in this great endeavor, this great privilege that we have to share the gospel of Christ here in our community around the world and to help people grow in their faith, their walk with Him. Look, there's nothing great. I told our staff this morning, our team, our worship team, driving here the Lord reminded me we're about to do the greatest thing on this planet as we gather together to worship the one true God our Lord our Savior and we want you to do that with us on a weekly basis we invite you to come there might be others who just need a quiet moment here at the altar or maybe you want someone to pray for you you come and let us know we'll pray for you Father thank you thank you that you're real Thank you that we can know you and experience you in our lives. Every moment of our life. And Father, we need you. Help us to be willing to humble ourselves as David did. And that our true desire will be to seek you with all of our heart. Help these who need to make commitments now. In Jesus' name, amen.